Well, happy Father's Day to uh, to the fathers. I, I asked a few of the fathers this morning, well, how, how long have you been a father? And uh, I've been a father for 38 years myself, and some, some of y'all got me beat, like in the 50s. I think, uh, was it Dennis, 54 years? Anybody have him beat? 62. Wow. John? All right. Well, good job, guys. Um, you know, this. Um, I, I've been mentioning all along as we've gone through the book of Mark that uh, one of the major themes in, in this gospel account is discipleship. Discipleship. What does it... What does it mean to be a disciple? You know, what does it mean to uh, to follow Christ? And uh, you know, Mark gives us a little bit at a time here, and he's he's fleshing this out. You know, I think if if I was to ask, okay, who here does not want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? I I don't think anybody's going to say me. I don't want to be a disciple. Of course, we we do. You know, but but what is a disciple? What is a true disciple? We, we've seen this theme develop. Uh, you know, a disciple is called to uh, to fish for the lost. You know, rescuing you, rescuing people from the uh, the chaos and and the darkness and and the sin, bringing them to Jesus. Uh, a true disciple is is one who follows Jesus, doing what, learning from him, learning from what he taught, observing what he did, doing the things he did, being with him, you know, knowing the things he knows. Uh, we've, we've seen a true disciple as, as a servant. And as we continue, Mark, Mark continues to fill out this, this picture. And we're going to look at the uh, remainder of chapter 3 today. And uh, you know, I'd like to I'd like to stay on this theme of discipleship and what is a a true disciple. And we're going to see that a, a true disciple is one who who knows who Jesus is, who is with him, who one who is sent by him on mission, and one who does the will of the Father. And uh, in you know, trying to organize this sermon, you know, something that kind of uh, worked its way out as, as I read through it several times is that Mark kind of shows two different groups, two different types of people. And, and I'm, this is kind of a provocative term here, but I'm going to say the, uh, the outsiders and, and the insiders. So bear, bear with me on that. You know, the, uh, the outsiders, uh, they have the wrong idea of Jesus. They have the wrong idea about who Jesus is. And maybe they're, maybe they're following him around, but they're not following him. They're not with him. They're not listening to him. The second group, the insiders, you know, those are the ones who, who embrace who Jesus is. They, they want to be with him. They want to follow him. You know, they, they want to be with the master and, and do the things that he, that he tells them to do. These are the true disciples. So in verses 3, through, or three 7 through 3, 12, uh, Jesus kind of gives us a recap of the crowd's response to Jesus. 
Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. And a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idmea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And so as as Jesus is, is performing miracles and, and casting out demons, uh, his his popularity is exploding. You know, we, we see that you know, from earlier that he's he's permanently, it seems, alienated himself from the uh, the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, by his by his actions, by the things he has said. Uh, remember, in the last encounter with them, he uh, Jesus healed a man with a, with a withered hand on on the Sabbath, and it says that uh, the Pharisees began planning how to kill him. You know, they, they want him gone. They don't want anything to do with him. Uh, but, you know, he's getting, he's getting a different treatment from the crowds, the, the throngs of people. To, the, to these people, he's a, he's a celebrity. He's putting on a, putting on a great show. And I like, you know, look at, look at how uh, Mark is describing the people who come to Jesus, who are following him around. He does this by region. He says... Uh, Jerusalem and, and Judea. Who are those people? These are these are the Jews. Tyre and Sidon. These these people are are the Gentiles. You know, Galilee, across the Jordan, probably a mix of, of Jew and, and Gentile. But you know, we have all types of people who are who are following him around and want to see what's going on. Most of them are following him because of what he can do for them. And, uh, you know, we, we see this, this need is, is universal. You know, there's a lot of sick people, a lot of people who are in need of, of a Savior. And it says, it says that Jesus uh, and his, has his disciples get a, a boat ready because he's, he's really being kind of crushed by this, by this crowd. They're, they're crowding it on him so much. Uh, and this is kind of... Describing a dangerous situation, uh, there was, I read this story a couple years ago about uh, out-of-control crowds, and uh, there was a press release uh, for a fairly simple concept. Uh, a child could go to a, a store called Build-A-Bear and pay their age for the price of a new stuffed animal. You know, the kid's construct craft their own their own bear you know so if you have a four-year-old it's four dollars for for one of these bears but on the uh, on the day of the event the uh, the crowd numbers uh, soared into the thousands and uh, you know afraid for the the safety of their customers they just had to cancel uh, the the event shut down the lines cancel the promotion for the remaining customers 
Uh, you know, we've all heard of uh, things that have happened like this on Black Friday where people are trampled to death. You know, in Europe, I, I've, I've heard of people who have been trampled to death at soccer matches or, or you know, press squeezed into a, a, a fence or something and injured or, or killed. And so this is, the, I think, the kind of situation that Mark is describing here. There's so many people that Jesus goes to his disciples. He says, give me a boat lest the, crush, or rest, lest the crowd crush us. Um, something else interesting here is notice how the demons fall down before Jesus and proclaim that he is the son of God. That's kind of weird, huh? Remember Mark started out this, this gospel account in verse 1. What does it say? Do you remember? The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the, the son of God. And uh, they recognize him. They confess this. They're the first ones to uh, confess the lordship of, of Jesus, that who Jesus is. But you know, having the endorsement of demons was probably not very useful, so he, he commanded them to be quiet. There's a principle here, though. You know, they know about Jesus. They know who he is. They, they knew all about him. They, know, they knew about Jesus much more than did the disciples. They knew him, but they, they knew who he was, but they didn't know him. You know, the, the Bible says that even the, the demons, James says this, even the demons believe and they, they shudder. Um, you know, as we go through Mark's account, we, we see more and more what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, a true follower, a true disciple. Chapter 3, again, we see those who are, those who are not, those who are on the outside, and those who are on the inside. Let's, let's look at these, these groups. Read with me uh, through the remainder of the chapter, and we'll look at these, and we'll you know, we'll, we'll answer the question, what is a true disciple? What is a true disciple? So let's uh, start, well, let's continue in verse 13, where we see, a Jesus, where we see Jesus appointing the twelve. So 3.13, he, he went up on the mountain and he called to him those whom he desired. They came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he also called apostles so that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. And he appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Guarnages, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He's out of his mind. 
And the scribes who came down from, a, from Jerusalem were saying, he's possessed by Beelzebub and by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds a strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit has, or never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. And his mothers and his brothers came and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. So let's let's define who the uh, insiders and outsiders are. Uh, Webster's Dictionary uh, defines an insider as a person recognized or accepted as a member of a group, category, or organization. The outsider, of course, would uh, be one who does not meet that. Let's look first at the outsiders. Who are they? They are the, uh, the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees. And also, surprisingly, at this point, Jesus' own family. Yeah, I mentioned a couple weeks ago that, that Mark uses a technique throughout this, uh, this narrative where he kind of uses bookends or, or, or you, know, you can think of it as, as a sandwich, you know, where... In this case, it talks about Jesus' family at the beginning, talks about Jesus' family at the end, and then in between, it's talking about these uh, religious leaders and, and also the, the demons. You know, the outer story has to do with the family and his disregard, or their disregard for his authority. You know, this, this book has his family members who are observing what's going on. You know, Jesus has become a, a big sensation among the, the people. He's healing people, casting out demons. You know, the cr- crowds are pressing in on him. And his family, his, his kinsmen think he's gone crazy, that he's gone mad. And uh, they see their job being to reel him in. And so it says they try to seize him. They, they want to grab him and, and whisk him away. Uh, maybe, maybe they're concerned for his safety and, and his well-being, or, or maybe they're just embarrassed by the, uh, the publicity, the attention that, that he's bringing. You know, he's really causing a stir in the community. And, you know, though the, the crowds love him, his family does not see, or they... they Maybe they will not, or maybe they don't see. I don't know what, what Jesus is all about. You know, his, his people, his people, his family. Uh, at this point, they're not his disciples. They're not following him. 
So that's the, uh, that's this bookend. This bookend at the end has Jesus's brothers and mother looking for him. And when they're, when he's told they're seeking him, what does he say? He asks him a question. Who are, who is my family? Who are my mother and, and brothers? Whoever does the will of God, he says, he is my brother and sister and mother. This is a passage that's usually not taught in a, a family building uh, conferences. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it seems that at first glance that Jesus is, is disavowing his, his family, right? Um, and, you know, our first reaction might be, what? what what's this all about? This, this doesn't make sense, you know. Isn't, isn't our family important? Well, yes, it is. What's Jesus saying here? You know, here's, here's where we need to be careful to consider the, the full counsel of God in, in the Bible. You know, of course the Bible teaches the family is important. This is, this is Father's Day, you know, and what, what I'd like to emphasize as we're going through this, fathers, and this applies to all parents, but it's Father's Day, we'll, we'll, we'll focus on the fathers. You know, be a disciple, be a true disciple, and be a true disciple with your children, you know, raise up true disciples. Follow Jesus together. Pray together. Read the Bible to, together. You know, be in the same family as, as your kids. You know, we, we, we sang about God being, or no, we didn't sing. Danny read the, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father. You know, we want to be able to say with our children, Our Father. You know, having this, the same heavenly father. But what can happen in families? Families sometimes can be clannish. They can uh, be inward focused. Uh, they can be cool or even unfriendly to, to outsiders. Uh, Jesus is saying his, his true family is made up of all those people who do God's will all those people who do God's will. His family embraces all types of people. You know, his his family invites the outsiders to become part of them, become part of the family. So in verses 22 to 30, the story shifts to another group who has a wrong theory about Jesus. Wrong thinking about Jesus. You know, the, the first theory, the family's theory, was he's insane. He's out of his mind. The second theory is he's bad. He's evil. He's, he's in league with the devil. It's by the power of, of the devil that he's doing these things. That's what the scribes are thinking. The, you know, and, and Jesus says he's the author of the Sabbath. You know, we... We know from Genesis that God created the Sabbath. He's the one who invented it. He instituted it. Jesus has said he's got the authority to forgive sins. Only God. Only, only God has that kind of authority. And if Jesus is one who can, who can forgive sins, Jesus is claiming to be equal to God. And he's right. He's telling the truth. That's why they're against him. Jesus shows them how their accusation of being in league with 
with Satan is, is false. It's absurd. How can the devil succeed if he's working against himself? He says, you know, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. A house that is divided against itself cannot succeed. You know, in the, in the outer story with the family, Jesus is in a house and his own people are trying to seize him and bind him. In the inner story, Jesus talks about another house, you know, Satan's house, this, this world in which, uh, in which Satan is, is the master. And he talks about seizing and binding and plundering the house, the kingdom of, of darkness. You know, Jesus gives an allegory about a, about a strong man. You know, Satan is the strong man whose strength is evidenced in, in the enslavement of, of men and women to sin, um, possession, disease, death. You know, the, the, the demons are his servants, Satan's servants in, in this work, this destructive work. And so he's like the, the champion, Satan is, who exercises his sovereignty in, in this sphere of death. And Jesus says there's one here who's stronger, one who's able to bind this strong man, who's able to enter into his realm, bind him, and, and plunder his goods. And so the expulsion of the demons is, is no less than a, an attack by this strong man, Jesus Christ, against the kingdom of darkness, against the, the house of darkness. You know, Jesus' ability to cast out demons means that one stronger than Satan has come to restrain his activities. So the heart of Jesus' mission is to confront Satan and, and to crush him. That's from Genesis, isn't it? Where God says that Eve's seed will will crush the head of the serpent. Jesus talks about a house being divided. You know, it is it is Satan's house that will fall because someone stronger than Satan will bring its destruction. And, and only Jesus can do this. Only Jesus, he's the one who can bind Satan. And we, we see in, in Revelation 20, during the millennial reign, what happens to Satan? He's bound. He's bound for a thousand years. And Jesus has come. He's bringing a foretaste. You know, he's, he's bringing the kingdom, not in its fullness, we see that Satan is still alive and active on earth right now. He was throughout Jesus' ministry. He is now. But the culmination of, of the kingdom and the, the final defeat of Satan is, is in the future. But until then, we still live in a broken world, don't we? People still sin. The earth is still full of spiritual darkness. So we're still in a battle. The Bible tells us that. And we long for the kingdom of God on earth. 
You know, we, we long to see Jesus reign and, and, and Satan powerless and, and destroyed. We, we see the inbreaking of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, when Jesus comes for the first time you know, with his life and death. Uh, we, we see his victory over sin. But what do we pray in that prayer that Danny read? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on, on earth as it is in heaven. We still long for that. We want, we want to see Jesus' kingdom come. We want to see it in its fullness when uh, we rest. We, will, we, will, we, we rest on the promise that uh, we shall reign with, with him. So, uh, you know, after, after showing the, the scribes that their claim is unfounded, Jesus addresses their unbelief. You know, he says there's a, a sin that uh, won't be forgiven. You know, the sin that won't be forgiven is, is unbelief. You know, rejecting the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit to, to bring people to Jesus to re- repentance and, and faith in him for the forgiveness of sin. If, if we commit this sin of unbelief, it means we're saying that the Holy Spirit's witness about Jesus is, is a lie. So what's the truth about who Jesus is? Is he, is he crazy? Is he evil? Or is he God? You know, those, those are the three choices that, that seem to be uh, presented here. He's crazy, he's evil, or he's God. Um, many, many will think there's maybe a fourth choice. Jesus was nothing but a, a very wise, well-adjusted individual. Had, had, he was very nice and had a lot of really good things to say. Um, I don't think that's an available option, though. I like what C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity. He says, A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. He says, either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. So both, both of these outsider groups, Jesus' family and the religious leaders, consider themselves to be or to have the truth. But uh, both groups were wrong. They thought wrongly at this point. You know, the good news is that Jesus' family does eventually believe in him. The good news is that many of these religious leaders, after his death and resurrection, come to him. We see that in the book of Acts. We want to be insiders. <laughs> we want to be true disciples. And there, there, there are several ways we can fool ourselves into uh, thinking that we are insiders when we're really not. What are those? One of them is uh, 
believing that going to church will save you. Or even, you could even be a church member. You know, uh, attending church does not give us a relationship with, with Jesus. Being a church member does not save us. Uh, Chris and I have a, a friend, two, well, it's a couple, friends in Montana, Beth and Leo. And they grew up in a, a, a mainline Protestant denomination where they went to church every week. And they knew a lot about Jesus, but they will tell you now they did not know him until they had a genuine encounter with him. They were, they were very religious, but they were spiritually dead, they will tell you. And these leaders were very religious. They, they knew the scriptures. Jesus later will say, you know, you... You search the scriptures because in them you think you have life, but they speak of me. They, they failed to see Jesus in the, in the holy scriptures. They were outsiders. They were not disciples. Another, another way we might deceive ourselves would be to think uh, that because we're in a particular family, we're born into Christianity. You know, the thing is, each of us is responsible for our own personal relationship with Jesus. You know, our, our salvation is not inherited from our parents. It's, it's, it's spiritual birth from God through the Holy Spirit. We can fool ourselves even by being baptized. You know, baptism does not save us, does it? It's it's an outward sign of an inward change. It's a public testimony to uh, Jesus's work in a believer's life, a testimony to our, our salvation. But you know, there there are plenty of people who've gone through the ritual and and they don't know Jesus. They're they're outsiders. We might uh, be fooled into thinking that okay, we're we're Americans. Therefore, we're, we're Christians, you know, because we're citizens of a particular country. Um, that's wrong thinking. You might even think, well, we don't live on the uh, West Coast or the East Coast, so we're, we're good to go. We could think uh, good works will save us. There's a lot of really good people that I know who aren't saved. You might think, well, you know, I, yes, I'll acknowledge I, I sin, but I'm not as bad as most of the people I know. But good works don't save us. We, we are saved by God's grace through faith, believing in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. And out of that salvation flows, should flow good works. That's in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. So we've been talking a lot about the outsiders, and that's mostly who John is talking about in here. But let's look at the insiders. Who are, who are the true disciples? Let's go back to uh, 13, verses 13 through 19. It says, He went up on the mountain he called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him, and he appointed 12 whom also he named apostles so that, listen to this, they might be with him. 
and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the 12, and I'm not going to read the the list of names again. Mark is building on what a disciple is. Jesus appoints he appoints twelve of these disciples, and he it says he names them apostles. Uh, by the way, the number twelve is very significant in the Bible. You know, we see twelve t- tribes of Israel. When Moses sent in the spies to spy out the the, the promised land, he, he picked twelve men, one one from each tribe. He picks twelve apostles here. Very significant. In, in Revelation, we see, we see the twelve. Two sets of twelve. You know, Jesus is bringing in a new order, a, a new covenant. And so, you know, just as the nation of Israel was represented by the twelve sons of Jacob, the twelve apostles are rep, they represent us, the Christians, those who are Christ's followers, the disciples. It says he appointed them. The word that um, in the original language that's translated here, appoint, in the original language means to make. You know, it's the same word that Mark used earlier when he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You know, Jesus didn't just find 12 men and decide, you know, these, these guys have it. These guys have what it takes to be my disciples. They've got very good administrative skills and you know, they're, they're flowery orators and all this kind of stuff. No, who does he choose? He chooses this, this ragtag band of uneducated, uh, normal people, you know, people like the rest of us. But he, choose, he calls them apostles, and it's his work. He, he makes them into apostles, which is a messenger. He will likewise shape us, mold us, make us to be disciples. You know, it's, it's his work in us that makes us his disciples. This is why Jesus appointed these 12. Look at verse 14, so that they might be with him that he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. This is, this is about relationship. There's a, there's a book, I, I'd recommend you read it. It's, it's by a guy named uh, Sky Jathani, and the, the name of the book is With. It talks about being with God. This is how disciples learn from Jesus, by being with him observing him, listening to him, being with him. The second reason he appointed is so that they might uh, go out and preach. He's, he's sending them out on, on mission. We'll see that later and ultimately in the, uh, the Great Commission. He's going he's to say, go and make disciples. You know, he, he's, he's going to give us, he's going to give his disciples the mission He's going to hand it over to them to make disciples. Just go and make disciples, teaching them what I've commanded you and baptizing them. Got those in the wrong order. 
It's about relationship. He gave them authority, authority over, over the kingdom of darkness. Last thing uh, at, at the, uh, the end here, you know, the second, the second bookmark. Um, it talks about doing the will of God. What does Jesus mean by, by do the will of God? You know, how can we do the will of God? Verse 35, he says, whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. You know, he, he says, my family goes way beyond biological family, you know, kinship, physical kinship. You know, my family, the ones who are in my family are the ones who obey. They're the ones who do the will of God. They're the ones who come to him. They're the ones who repent. The ones who are obedient to his commission. The ones who are obedient to uh, the command to proclaim the, the gospel. And uh, proclamation comes, it consists of two parts. Uh, you know, there's the, the verbal proclamation, the things we say about the good news of Jesus Christ, about his salvation, about eternal life. The second is the way we the way we live, the way we live our lives before others. You know, if we if we say one thing and and live another thing where they don't agree, what kind of witness is that? Nobody nobody's going to follow. We need to show Christ's love in word and in, in deed to, to the lost world that, that we find ourselves living in. And uh, let me bring this back to Father's Day. You know, those of us who are, are parents, um, speaking to fathers mainly, you know, let's, let's bring our sons and daughters along with us on this journey to discipleship. That's, that's the greatest thing that we can do as, as fathers, you know, leading, leading our son or our, our daughter to Christ, being there with them, walking alongside them as they, as they live the Christian life through the, the hard times and the good times and everything in between. You know, we want to bring them into the family of God. Then we want to walk with them as they walk with Jesus so let's let's raise the next generation of, of disciples, uh, th- those who who know Jesus, who will be with Jesus. Encourage our, our sons and daughters to uh, uh, let's let's encourage our, our sons and daughters to uh, read and study the Bible, God's Word, to pray, to to love Him, to have a you know, an authentic, genuine, sincere relationship with him. That's, that's, the, that's the greatest thing we can do as, as fathers. So, you know, again, using, using these terms insider and outsider are maybe provocative, but, uh, you know, and why is that? Because generally we, we consider insiders to be exclusive, you know, but we're all 
invited to be insiders. We're all called to salvation in, in Jesus. We're all called to be followers and, and disciples of, of Jesus. You know, those who are with him and are sent by him. So, you know, if, if we're insiders, it's because we're with Jesus. It's because we're doing what he wants us to do, the things he tells us to do, and inviting others to, uh, to join into this, this journey with him. Pray with me. Um, our Father, our Father, we, we praise you and we thank you that we can call you our Father. You've given us uh, life in, in Jesus Christ. We, we thank you for, for the gospel, the, the good news of Jesus. And you know, your word says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were, while we were still enemies, he loved us. And so, Lord, we, we thank you for, for bringing us into your family for adopting us as your children. We thank you, Lord, for, uh, for defeating the enemy, for, for having victory over, over sin, for, for saving us from our sin, giving us eternal life, Lord. And, um, you know, we pray for those people who do not yet believe in you, who need your salvation so desperately, Lord. We long to see them turn to you in faith and receive your gift of eternal life. So Jesus, there, there's power in your name. There's, there's healing in your name. Uh, there's, there's no other name by which we may be saved. And it's that name, the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.